Um, as Matt was saying, this morning is a little bit of a vision Sunday for us. Um, I'm going to be unpacking what it, what it means for us to be a community of tables and gardens. We're going to take a wee look at that this morning. Yesterday, uh, we took a bunch of leaders. I think there's 27 uh, of you, of, of leaders in the community here. We took them uh, up the north coast, our good friends in Origin, uh, just outside Balamani, and we had a great day that they hosted for us, uh, unpacking a little bit of what tables and gardens means for us as a community, how we're actually going to concretely kind of outwork that in the life of the community here. So um, I call it a vision Sunday. Um, I'm not really going to claim that this is my vision. This is kind of, this came from the moleskin notebook of Dave Armstrong. Um, so this is kind of like the revised standard Hawthorne version of the of the, uh, the vision tables and gardens. So uh, just go with it. I may be butcher this morning, but... Uh, you know, sorry, Dave. Sorry, Dave. But um, yeah, so if you have been a part of the community for any time in Redeemer, you will know that we kind of put a lot of focus on the table. Table has been one of the underpinning values for us as a community for a long time here. Um, you know, this time last year, we did a little series, a little five-week series called Elements, where we looked at the five main elements, the five kind of values, the five kind of core ideas that we believe are, are crucial to us as a community. So if you don't remember what those were, we're going to do a little quick overview here, just to run down through those. So <clears throat> they were, number one, story. We are storytellers caught up in living our role as the church in the story of God. We have a story to tell, the story of our King Jesus, of God made flesh, he came to heal redeem and restore all things. And then number two, presence. We are presence carriers. We are a people of God's presence. We gather together as a church, as the dwelling place of God, and we desire to live out of that place of encountering him and see others brought into an encounter with him as well. And number three, table. We believe that we are called to be table setters. We gather around the table of Jesus bread and the wine, and we invite others to find their place at the table as well. Number four, formation. We are formed in the way of Jesus and into his likeness. The journey of discipleship with Jesus involves transformation and the laying down of our own agendas to take up the cross of Christ as we emulate his example. And then number five was place. We are placed for mission for the mission to love our city. We're called to incarnate the message and community of Jesus in a particular place and time, a particular cultural moment, real streets, real cities, real workplaces, and real towns and villages. And last year, that was a really helpful thing for us to do as a leadership team, to kind of think those through and then present them to the church. And... Uh, you know, we, we wanted to do, what we wanted to do this year was kind of build, build on those kind of core things that we taught into last year uh, and kind of clarify what it looks for us as a community to kind of live out of those and maybe kind of make them a little bit more concrete in the life of the community here. So we're going to do that this morning. To get us going and to look at tables, first of all, we're going to look at a, at a passage in the Gospel of Luke. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Luke 14, it'll be up on the screen as well, Luke 14, verse 7. 
uh, and we're going to read these couple of parables, one that runs into the other. Um, speaking of Jesus, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to the host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. In the parable of the great banquet, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought you, brought a, bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me, Ian Colville. <laughs> Still another, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. The master told his servant, go out into the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. I love these two parables, one that runs into the other in Luke 14, both because of the beautiful picture that it paints of the kind of community that Jesus is gathering to himself, but also because it really makes me look deeply or feel deeply uncomfortable as I consider you know, my own all too often lack of humility and hospitality in the face of those that Jesus has extended the invite to his table to. Throughout the Gospel of Luke, if you pay attention when you're reading it, you will note that the t- a table or a party or a celebration is uh, mentioned a bunch of times in the text. Um, there's these two parables of Jesus. Then again in the next chapter, the, the very familiar story of the prodigal son where he is welcomed in to celebrate at his father's table at the end of the story. And then finally, if you remember the story on the road to Emmaus, when Jesus comes in and eats with the believers who didn't recognize who he was after his, re- his resurrection. And then of course, Jesus eats with his disciples at the Last Supper. And he also eats numerous times around the table with Pharisees or other unsavory characters as the story unfolds. He was, as we all so often hear, accused of being a drunkard and a glutton, hanging around and partying with the outcasts and the so-called sinners. You know, we 
very often in Redeemer and uh, in our lives, we kind of talk about the Christian journey as the Christian life as being a journey, is what I meant to say. But as much as being a journey, the picture that we get from the Gospels and from Scripture is that it is a party. It is an invite to a party, to a celebration around a table, a party with real bread and real wine. Hallelujah. You know, there's three things, three main points that we can make about this parable, these parables. Very quickly, number one, it works on a kind of literal level. If you're paying attention, you'll see that Jesus really does want to invite those to the party who were hurting and were experiencing suffering in this life. They have pride of place at the table of Jesus. He has a particular heart and desire to bring in the poor, the lame and the blind as he went about healing and setting people free in his earthly ministry. It's obvious that these kind of folks get an invite to the party. In Jesus' day, and maybe even in many developing countries around the world, we can imagine that the poor who are possibly a little bit more visible than they are in our own lives could be easily brought into a party because they're there. But, you know, we kind of give ourselves a free pass so often when we think about these things, but that shouldn't be the case. If you remember last June, um, I, I was speaking, I can't remember what, this, what the talk was about, but I was talking about this particular electoral ward that we find ourselves in, uh, the New Lodge Electoral Ward, and it's one of the top 10 most deprived in Northern Ireland out of hundreds of electoral wards. So we would do well, Redeemer, to remember that the poor are with us and we should find ways to extend the invite to the table to them. Number two, Jesus in this story was directly addressing the religious elites of his day, the Pharisees, boo, the Pharisees. And Luke, who wrote this gospel, was working into the Gentile world where the extension of this invite to the table likely was hitting up against opposition from those Jews in those places. Those on the inside, those religious elites, those who have had every opportunity to respond to the invitation and yet shun it, should take note. Number three, beyond that, we see in these stories that those who are maybe deemed to be ethnically or ethically dubious also get an invite to the table. He extends the invite out into the hedges and the highways to all and sundry. The invite goes, the invite to the table crosses all of our comfortable cultural, religious and ethical boundaries. We must not only just consider ourselves the ones who have responded to Jesus' invite and then sit back and enjoy the party. Instead, we as those who have responded should embrace our new roles as hosts of the table of Jesus alongside him and seek to, seek to serve those to whom the invite has been extended and perhaps especially to those that might make us uncomfortable. This is the kind of table that Jesus calls us to host. It's one that sends out the invitation, sends out the invite that transgresses, that grates against, that challenges our inbuilt prejudices, challenges our lack of love, 
our cliques and our sense of neatness and control. You know, we, Redeemer Central, we are a people in a time and space. We are the family of God. And just like any family, this can be really messy. Sometimes it gets really messy. I think of my own family and there are nights when everybody arrives in from a working day from school, you know, school's been crazy and homework needs done and dinner's need made and maybe the girls have to go out to GB at 6.15. Dad's got to go to a meeting and everybody loses their temper and shouts and cries and falls out and apologizes and starts again and on and on and on. You get it? Families are messy. Families fall out and make up. Families embrace and help each other out. Families disagree about significant things. Families rub each other up the wrong way. But families learn to forgive. Families love each other through the mess. Families each have each other's back when stuff gets real. Families break bread every night around the table. I love this quote by Jonathan Martin. He says, we come looking for answers. God sends us a hot meal through a warm body. We come looking for reasons for our hunger. God sends provision to feed us. We come looking for a sermon that will explain the complexity of the cosmos to us and satiate our desire for understanding. Christ responds with, this is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you. All tables require a meal. And on Sunday each week, we we gather around the Eucharist. The breaking of bread and the drinking of wine together forms the central ritual that we gather to. We trust that somehow the real presence of Christ is in the bread and the wine as we partake. Christ is present with us through his spirit yet he is absent in body. He gives of himself here and now, and yet we long for the day that we eat and drink with him face to face. You know, this primary ritual of the meal is, the meal is the primary ritual to humankind, I should say. We are social animals. We love to eat together, and so it is with God. We as his people are made in his image, and so we are invited to his table. God's people throughout his story have gathered around a meal. The ancient Israelites celebrated Passover and so we celebrate Eucharist today, our Thanksgiving meal. So when we think about it, what does it mean to be a community that practices table, that gathers around tables? And as we set a table among, as we've said in this place before, a thousand other tables in the city, we contend that the table that we are invited to and that we partake of and that we give the invite out to is the great table. The table that we have is the best party in town. It's the table of Jesus and it's he who decides who's invited, not us. For us, tables is a metaphor for community that happens for us here on our Sunday gatherings. It's also a metaphor for what might happen um, during the week in people's houses uh, or at other times when we gather, like uh, our ladies who gather and thrive 
They gather around food. That's like a table that has been set. Um, Or our youth, uh, as they gather, they're going to take this metaphor for tables as well and practice youth table. Um, So anytime we are saying that the church gathers as the church, that is a table, the table of Jesus we are gathering to. And leads me on to a little bit of an announcement that Matt gave a little sneak to in his... um, uh, in, the, in his notices there. City groups are dead. Long live tables. City groups have been with us maybe six years or so in Redeemer, and they've served us really well. But um, it's maybe fair to say over the past couple of years, our focus has slightly not been on them. So to give them a fresh new life, we are doing away with calling them city groups. We're hitting reset, and we're starting again. And so we're going with tables. So you're all invited to tables. And next week, we're going to have a really fun kind of interactive Sunday where some of the people who are going to be leading these new tables uh, are going to have a spotlight shone on them. They maybe don't know that yet, but that's what's happening. I'm lucky. They'll maybe be up here. They might be little quick just sort of interview. Who are you? Where are you? Where's your kind of group going to be gathering? And we're going to have a sign up going to be good. It's going to be great. So come along next week. It's going to be an important one for us and we're going to have some fun. So just to remind us then of that little phrase from our five values, we are table setters, Redeemer. That's a little mantra perhaps for us as we go forward. We are table setters. We gather to the table of Jesus. So what about gardens then? You may be asking, we maybe haven't used this language of gardens in Redeemer before. Um, we've used, overused perhaps the language of tables, but we're going to run with it. So. Um, but gardens, what about gardens? How is what we do as a community going to be informed by this idea of gardens? Well, here's a little mantra again to help us with this. Build gardens, not walls. Or we might say that we desire to be a community that plants gardens, doesn't build walls. You see, the story of God's people and of humanity itself begins in a garden as told in the narrative of the book of Genesis. God created a garden for the man and the woman to dwell in. In the east, as we learn, in Eden. Matt talked about this a little bit last week. The garden would have all kinds of trees growing out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. There was a river watering the garden that flowed from Eden. The Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Man's first command from God was to get our hands into the dirt. The work that man was to do was to work the ground and take care of the garden that God had created. The primary task that man had been given was maintaining this garden and presumably to enlarge the borders of Eden as the population was to grow. He was to build gardens, not walls. We know from the narrative of scripture that disaster ensues right at the beginning of the story. The perfect shalom of the garden is interrupted and man's dwelling place with God is disturbed by man's rebellion through his disobedience. And whilst God stoops to accommodate man's sin and rebellion by clothing him in his newly realized nakedness, he puts him out of the garden and death enters into the story. 
We know the story. Uh, we know the story that the narrative tells us of the carnage that ensues with the murder of, uh, murder of Abel by his brother Cain, then the wickedness of the earth multiplying to such an extent that God sends a flood. And then mankind starts over. But it's not long before in their movement ever east away from the garden, they find a plain and settle there. And it says this in Genesis 11. It says, they said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone, instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build a city with a tar that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And then you know from the story that God came down and disrupted their plans, confused their language and scattered them over the face of the earth. Perhaps they should have built gardens rather than walls. Build gardens, not walls. This move away, this move east away from Eden, Eden is a pattern that repeats itself throughout the narrative in Genesis. It's a little tool the author uses to describe what it is to move away from the dwelling place of God and to follow, follow our own wayward agenda. Fast forward in the narrative scripture about 600 years BC, the people of Israel have taken, been taken into captivity. They've been taken into exile in Babylon, if you know the story, displaced from their homeland, Israel. The temple of Solomon has been destroyed and they're to live among the Babylonians. Jeremiah is a prophet raised up by God and he speaks to his people. And we read in one of these passages in Jeremiah the command of God to those exiled Israelites he says this in Jeremiah 29, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you in exile. Pray to the Lord God for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. The admonition was to plant gardens, to settle down, to seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Pray for it. If the city prospers, you too will prosper. Build gardens, not walls. Before summer, we did a little series called Resident Aliens, as we called it then, and we, we looked at what it means for us to be a people who are, in a sense, aliens in the culture that we find ourselves. Our citizenship is from somewhere else. We are a people who confess that Jesus is Lord in the face of a culture that demands we owe our allegiance to it or our wallets or our votes or whatever. The culture in so many ways is hostile to the historic ways of the Christian faith and yet in so many ways we experience great freedom as we do in this land with the freedom to worship. But so we believe, as we are as resident aliens, under the revolutionary reign of King Jesus, that we too are to seek the peace and welfare of our city here and now. But how are we going to do that? By planting gardens, we're going to contend. By enlarging the borders of Eden. By taking up our original creation mandate. I'm going to use the vision uh, of Ezekiel and the water 
flowing from the temple and his vision to help us as we think about this. Let's read together. This is Ezekiel 47. Uh, and it's verse 47 if you want to read along. It'll be on the screen too. Ezekiel's vision. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. For the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He had brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east. And the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through the water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through the water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now the river, it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live there wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because the water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Eglaim. Eglaim. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea, but the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not, will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. So what, you may be asking, what does this picture of the water flowing from the temple tell us? Well, the temple as you know, is the dwelling place of God. The water is the life that flows from his presence. Everywhere the water touches, life results. Trees bloom on them, fruit. There is fruit for food and leaves for healing. You, church, are the dwelling place of God on the earth. You are the conduit for the life-giving water of the Spirit of God to flow from and touch the dry and barren parts of this city and these streets. You are the medium through which the hungry can be fed and the broken can be bound up. You are the vessel that God desires to work in and through to bring his life to the dead and dying and hopeless places in this city. You are those that have been tasked with planting gardens. You are those that have been tasked with enlarging the borders of Eden. But what do I mean by this? How are we actually going to do this? How are we going to plant gardens? Here's three really quick ones that I'm aware of that are happening in our community. Once a month, you'll know this if you've been around Redeemer for a while. On a Saturday afternoon, we run a family cinema with a massive welcome to anybody in our city who would like to attend. We call it Family Matinee, and it's beautiful chaos. It's so simple. 
We have families from all over the city who come and connect to that. It's ethnically diverse. It's religiously diverse. It's a beautiful thing. And that is a garden that we have planted in the city. But we need your help to make it happen. The last one of last year was amazing because a whole bunch of you came along and helped the team that kind of, the team that usually makes it happen. And it was just a beautiful time we had together. Come along. It's happening again at the end of the month. What a, the greatest showman, isn't that it, Dan? Ivan and Kathy are in the corner there as well. It's going to be a laugh. I'm hoping we're all going to sing. <laughs> farm box. You all know about farm box as well. Hopefully by now. I love farm box. Farm box is now an actual garden. We were up at Origin yesterday and we saw the space where we have been, we've secured funding to actually have a polytunnel where the veg is going to be grown for our farm box families up at Origin on their kind of small holding up there. It's a beautiful, literal garden that brings life to the families that it touches. It's a wonderful thing. Farm box, get connected, support farm box, pray for farm box and family matinee. They would value that so much. And then creatives, creatives, historically Redeemer, we've kind of been a place where we've loved the host, the creative arts. We've loved to put a spotlight on that, whether it's using this venue to host events or other things in the city. Going right back to the Garden of Eden, if you remember, God's command to the man was to cultivate the garden, to bring something beautiful and productive out of the raw materials that were there. He was the order, the chaos that was there, and the posture of an artist and the gardener have much in common. They both begin by contemplating the raw materials that are before them, and then set to work, adopting a posture of purposeful work. And we're excited because... um, in this next season, our own Stephen Wilson, uh, we're going to be hosting an event here. It's going to be really good fun. Keep your ears tuned for that, but we're hoping it's going to be the beginning of drawing together those of you in this community who have a desire to see the creative arts bring life to the city around us. Get connected, talk to Stephen, if that's you. I'm talking about musicians, artists, writers, whatever you are, talk to Stephen. He's gonna be gathering something around this. Build gardens, not walls. You see, we believe as we do this, we believe that as we practice being storytellers, as we become presence carriers, as we embrace our calling as being table setters, as we are formed into the likeness of Jesus, as we incarnate as the body of Christ in our place in this city, when we live in this way, we will see the kingdom of God come. We will see the broken healed, the lost brought home, the outcasts and those on the margins brought in to the party and given the best seats in the house. Can I invite the band to come up? And we're going to finish as we always do with coming around the table of Jesus and taking bread and wine. Can I invite you to stand? I'm going to read a passage of scripture from from Revelation 22. 
as we finish. And if you know, if you know the, the picture that is painted in the book of Revelation of the consummation of all things, where everything finds its end in Christ Jesus, you will know that there is a wedding supper that we are invited to at the end of all things, where everything finds its end in Christ. The wedding supper of the Lamb, where we will sit and we will eat with Jesus face to face. And then it says this in Revelation 22. This is Eden restored. This is why we are called to enlarge the borders of Eden. Because ultimately, when heaven and earth are finally joined, and we see Christ face to face, and the new Jerusalem is our dwelling place, we will discover that that city is a city that has a river running through it, and it's a city that has a garden that has sprung up on either side of the river. And this is how Revelation 22 describes that city, as Eden restored. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the street of the great city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Come, Lord Jesus, come.